Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. I have prepared for you, are you ready for this? I have prepared for you a one-point message. Is everybody all right with that? We'll build up to it. I'm not just going to say it and we're dismissed. I mean, we're going to have a little building here, a little exposition. But uh, it's going to be, I I believe, you'll be blessed. So, okay. So on Wednesday, we talked about there are various disciplines of the Christian life. And as a Christian, when you come into the saving grace of Jesus, there are things you're expected to think and say and do as you walk with Jesus. You know, not just the Ten Commandments. I mean, that's a very good place to start. But from there, you should have these disciplines ingrained and increasing every day. Amen? From glory to glory. That's how we grow from glory to glory is by being sharpened by the word. Little tweaks here and there where as we're living our lives, the Holy Ghost moves on the inside by the word of God and by revelation as to what we're supposed to do. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read it from the Amplified. The first three verses, it's interesting, you know, whenever you read one of these uh, epistles in the New Testament, they were not written in chapter and verse. This is something that was written as a very long letter. In Paul's case, very, very long run-on sentence letters that are hard to study. Uh, But in chapter 2, he goes into some detail and he says, And you he made alive, and if you have your, uh, your King James, the he made you alive or he quickeneth, That's actually in italics, which means it was never in the original Greek. Paul didn't write those words. It was the translator's way of keeping it upbeat. But what he actually said was, And you, when you were dead and slain by your trespasses and sins, in which at one time you walked habitually, you were following the course and fashion of this world. You were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. You were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. Among these, we, as well as you, once lived and conducted our lives in the passions of the flesh, our behavior governed by the corrupt and sensual nature, obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginings, we were then, by, by nature, children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation, like the rest of mankind. Thank you, Brother Paul, for those encouraging words. Thank you for pointing out all of the wretchedness that we were before Jesus. Why would he do that? Why would he take time? Now, if you read chapter 1, this is the, the Ephesians prayers. This is something that they taught us at Ramah, the, that I still pray over myself more often than anything else, is the Ephesians prayers. Oh, God. Give me the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of you. The eyes of my understanding being enlightened that I might know and experience the hope of your calling on my life and what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints and the power that's at work inside of me who believes. Amen. That's good stuff. Pray that over yourself. That was a freebie. That's not in your notes. But why would he go from that into, and you, I just hear like this sailor, like some, uh, what's it? Some pirate, and you are your dead in your sins. Christ hath redeemed you. Like this, just this horrible, devastating voice in my head of who I was before Jesus. Paul, why would you put that in in the scripture between chapter 1 and chapter 3, which is another awesome Ephesians prayer? 
Well, let's go on verse 4. This is back in King James. But God, oh, but God, oh, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, has quickened us together with Christ. For by grace you are saved. He's pointing out who we are. Excuse me. He was pointing out who we were before Jesus so that when he gets to this revelation of who we are now in Jesus, we can remember where we came from. I'm not saying that we're allowing that to be a, um, a condemnation on the inside of us, but he's pointing it out so that we can appreciate the exceeding riches of God's grace toward us. See, what he didn't do, I like to do this a lot in study. I, I read the scripture and I say, well, what didn't that say? Because if you point out what it didn't say, it helps you to better understand what it actually does say. So an example, it, that scripture didn't say that he took us out of this wretched, immoral, wicked, rebellious state and he made us forever slaves, cleansed and permitted in his kingdom, but slaves for him, servants for him. Although we are servants, amen. He didn't rescue us and then put us in chains and say, well, now you're mine and you need to work this off for all eternity. He could have. And if he had, that still would have been an amazing and probably the greatest gracious act ever done anywhere in all of creation, in the universe, in all of heaven. But what did he do? Did he do that? Did he wrap us in chains and say, okay, you're redeemed from hellfire, but now you need to work it off? No. Let's read verse 6. But God. And now, okay, I'm going to go back to 4. You guys don't have to put it up. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love with wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together by, uh, with Christ. By grace you are saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not only did he redeem us from hellfire, not only did he make a way for us to receive absolute cleansing and forgiveness and mercy, he set us at the highest place of authority with Jesus in heaven. I'm talking about you this morning. I'm talking about you this morning. I'm talking about me this morning. That gracious gift that reworked all of this in here and made us worthy, not only to stand before Him blameless, but He built us together to be the temple of the Holy Ghost so that the third person of deity lives in us and moves around wherever you move. <laughs> this is the richness of the grace that God poured out towards us in Christ Jesus. You know, I like to know how things work. Uh, I got into building computers, which can be a nightmare because there are so many different kinds. But I like to know why. Why is this doing this? Sometimes I watch YouTube videos about how to fix. Like yesterday I watched one on, you know, those Nintendo Wii's. Remember, they were a big craze like 10 years ago. Some people still have them, but you could actually move your hand and it would play the game instead of this all the time. Kids started getting exercise. That was nice. Anyway. I was a gamer, I admit that, but uh, the Lord set me free by the power of a good wife. <laughs> but I like to know why. Okay, so we've come to this place where God has redeemed us, reworked us with His own building materials. We are His workmanship, amen? But why? Why? Oh, well, Chris, John three sixteen, for God so loved. That's why. Okay, God so loved, but why did He love me? I remember who I was. I remember where I was, and I remember where I was going. Amen. Why did he love me? 
In Psalm 8, this is a psalm of an archangel. That's the study of it. This is the voice of an archangel talking to God. In verses 1 and 2, he goes into detail about, I'm looking at how marvelous you are, how amazing and great and powerful you are, dunamis creator of the universe. And in verse 3, he says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou, and thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and has crowned him with glory and honor. Now, the translators of this Hebrew, they didn't have the guts to use the actual word. When it says a uh, little lower than the angels, the word for angel typically in the Old Testament is malak, like the book of Malachi, which means servant or messenger. That is not malak. That is Elohim. You have made him a little lower than Elohim, which is the Hebrew word for the Godhead. This is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Genesis, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Elohim spoke and said, let there be light. Thou hast made him a little lower than God himself and has crowned him with glory and honor. Well, the glory and honor makes a lot more sense when you're saying God himself. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of your hands and has put all things under his feet. Why? Why? Everything that we receive from the Father, whether it's the gift of salvation, whether it's the baptism and the Holy Ghost with the evidence of praying in tongues, whether it's a divine healing, whether it's inspiration into a scientist to create a medication like Tylenol to help you get over a fever, everything that we receive, whether it's wisdom or inventions, for it's the Holy Ghost that gives the knowledge of witty inventions, amen? Everything that we receive from the Father is not for our glory. The gifts and talents that you have, you receive those from the Father, but they are not for your glory. Salvation, forgiveness, healing, financial prosperity, restoration, deliverance from addiction, it is all to His glory. In chapter 2, again of Ephesians, moving on to verse 8, he says, for By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. You remember the story of Abraham, that in the cutting of the covenant, when he had to prepare the sacrifice and build the altar, everything was prepared. Adam had done all of the work. But God set an example in that sacrifice. He caused, he caused Abraham, Abram at the time, to fall into a deep sleep. Then God himself came down. He prepared the sacrifice. He cut the animal, he poured the blood, and he finished the sacrifice. Why? That's kind of silly. Isn't Abram Abraham supposed to be the one doing the work? He did it to set an example that when you and I needed rescued, we are not capable of saving ourselves. We are not capable of recreating this. There are, there are actually denominations within Christendom, but all kinds of religions and even worldviews, even secular humanism, that sees that there's something wrong on the inside. There is something wrong with the world. Turn on the news for 15 seconds, just 15 seconds now, and then turn it off, and see that there's something wrong with the world. We cannot save ourselves. God set the example. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God, the good works have been foreordained, that we should walk in the good works. 
Remember, we started talking about the disciplines of the Christian life, and there are things that we are supposed to think, say, and do throughout our Christian experience. Well, I, I have a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. And every once in a while, while I'm being a father, I get asked, why? <laughs> Go brush your teeth. Why? Because I don't want your teeth to rot and fall out. Go wash your hands. Why? Because it's dinner time and you are out playing in the yard and your hands are filthy. Take off your shoes. Why? Because mama just cleaned and your shoes are filthy. Why? Again, I'm asking why? Why should we walk in those good works that he foreordained in Christ Jesus? Because we love God, right? Because he's worthy of it. Because he's worthy of our allegiance. But I want to I wanna talk about one other why. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Remember, this is a one-point message. I'm almost there. Bear with me. Wherein, he's talking about, you are now dealing with persecution and difficulties. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if you need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being more precious than that of gold that perishes, through it, that is the trials, would be tried by fire, that your faith might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. We live in a fallen world and there is some really heavy stuff going down. I don't know about you. Sometimes when I come to church, there are some heavy things wearing me down. I'm just being honest. But I keep my eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of my faith. He started it. And I believe that he will finish it. Why? Why do we pursue these things? Why, when there's pressure on us, why do we push through and keep our eyes on Jesus? Why do we rejoice when we don't feel like rejoicing? Why do we worship and give honor to the Father when our bills are getting behind? Why do we come and fellowship and love on someone else who's hurting when we have pressure on us? Why do we do that? Because as your faith, as my faith is purified, God doesn't give us the temptations. He doesn't give us the trials. We have an enemy who's perfectly capable of all of that. We have fleshly people around us who are perfectly capable of all of that. But his grace is always sufficient. And it comes from in here. It's this working, this temple. It always comes from in here. Why do we do that? Because the purified faith will bring glory and honor and praise to Jesus when he is manifested at the end of all things. Listen, I don't care how big your house is, how nice your car is, what a great job you have, or a big successful family. At the end, you bring two things with you. Your faith and other people. Amen? You bring your faith, which is purified, and other people to whom you've ministered. Whose honor and glory is it? Well, it's not ours. All right, here's my one point. You guys ready? We're, the, we're almost there. We're almost there. It's in this section of four verses. Ephesians 2. We're going to start with uh, verse 4 again. But God who is rich in mercy. This is right after talking about what wretches we were. But God who is rich in mercy with his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in our sins has quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved and has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Why, God, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Ages. Everybody say ages. ages. 
We are currently in the age of grace or the church age. In the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost came and moved and filled on the hearts of those that had accepted Jesus as Christ and Savior, the church age was born. And that is one age for 2,000 years that we have been living in. Amen. This just said, in the ages to come, God is going to show the exceeding riches of His grace toward you in Christ Jesus. Why did God redeem us? Because He is going to show the exceeding greatness of His riches and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Listen, there is never a time in your Christian walk when you have even begun to earn the salvation and the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. I never, ever, ever begin at a place where now I have walked into, I've crossed over from like baby Christendom into like now I'm a mature Christian and now I'm earning my grace. That never happens. Let me put it another way. Now at the beginning of your faith, say somebody got saved yesterday. The same grace that is in them is the same grace that is in you and me. If you've been saved for 80 years, it's the same grace that God gave to them that He gave to you. No matter what victories you've walked through, no matter what trials you walked through. I'll put it another way. Everything and everything that is in us that is good you know, we have very talented praisers and musicians. Thank God for that. We have, a, I think, a very excellent worship team, not only in their music ability, but in their ability to cross over into the presence of the Father. You know, not all worship teams are like that. They don't actually invite people to come with them into the throne room. We have a team that does that. But all the gifts that they have and all the diligence that they have to practice is His grace. <laughs> so at the end of it, when they get their victor's crown, when they get their faithful crown, it's all to God's glory. It's all to God's glory. I'm going to put it another way. You guys have this in your notes. Like I said, I like to think about how what the word doesn't say and then what it, what it does say. 500 billion years. I just made that number up, but it's true. 500 billion years after you receive your glorified body, after the rapture of the church, after the thousand-year reign of Christ, after the battle of Gog and Magog, right? Book of Revelation stuff here. 500 billion years after that's done, your very walking on those streets of gold and worshiping before the throne of God, your fellowshipping with saints of old, Abraham and Peter and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and fellowshipping and talking to the Master Himself, all of those moments are God showing off the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. The crown that you will carry on the day of the Bema Seed of Christ, when you are judged for the good things that you did by faith and you receive your reward, that day that you get your crown, that crown might be on your head. And by the way, you're going to willingly and lovingly cast it at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> oh, what greater gift. All of that, that beautiful crown, is God showing, showing off the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. Our motivation for receiving from God, because some people have a hard time doing this. They have a hard time receiving healing from the Father. They have a hard time receiving forgiveness from the Father. It's because they're looking at themselves and judging themselves according to the flesh. How do I know? But when we look at it as this is the beginnings, oh, brother, sister, this is the beginnings of the lavish grace that God the Father the creator of the universe who gave his very best is going to work in you. 
Oh, give it to me, Jesus. Give it to me, Lord. You know, I, I was thinking about this when we, I knew that Gideons were coming. We were going to do the, the compassion thing. Some people, when, when there's a presentation like this, they think, well, you know, I'm very budget-minded. I don't have that extra whatever to give. And that's okay. You know, certainly there's no pressure. There's never, we don't do that here in this church. You be led. We, we trust the Holy Ghost on the inside of you to lead you. Now, do I think that everyone here is supposed to support these two ministries? No, that's not realistic. Do I think that some people in this room should be supporting these ministries? Absolutely. And that's according to what God puts in your heart. But when it comes to the grace of Jesus, maybe you don't have it in your budget. I'm just talking practical things, something I've walked through and walked through. When it's not in your budget, you know you are allowed to go to the Father and you're allowed to ask Him, Father, I need my bills to decrease by this much a month or I need my finances to increase by this much a month because I want to sow into this. And you know he'll do it. How do I know? There was a time, I won't go into details, there was a time when um, Michaela and I were believing for different things and I was watching a program, a ministry program on TV and the minister said, it's time for Christians to stop believing God to do the, the things that they can already do on their own. It's time for Christians to start believing God for things they could never do on their own because then they don't get the glory God gets the glory. And so I took the challenge. So I talked to Michaela about it. And we came into agreement and we asked for a ridiculous amount of money to give to a ministry that we loved and supported. And <clears throat> just to show you how this works, this is the first time I'd ever done this. You know, there's different phases of faith and different things that God will teach you and bring you and help you with. This is the first time I'd ever believed God for someone else like this. Nine or ten days later, I get a phone call. I'm talking ridiculous amount of money. I get a phone call. Hey, we're going to cut you a check for this amount of money. And it was to the penny exactly what we had asked. Now, I could have taken that money and been like, Woo, down payment on a... And maybe if it hadn't been exactly the amount, I might have been tempted to do that. But I believe that was God's way of saying, Chris, I heard you. Now do what you said you would do. And we did. And it was the most, just absolutely the most pleasurable thing to do, to walk up to that minister and say, I believe God for this. It came on the wings of angels. And they received it, and I believe put good use to it. Our motivation for pursuing a lifestyle of service before the Lord, our motivation for believing God for an increase, for a holier lifestyle, for a deeper love for the Father, a deeper love for the brethren and for the lost, our motivation for increasing in our Christian walk is so that God will be glorified all the more. Listen, I, I understand there are people in this room right now that are going through some stuff. There are. We all put a smile on our face. You know, masks are, for the most part, gone. And you can still see, you can start to see people's faces. But I believe that there are people going through stuff, and I want you to know that the Father loves you, and He loves you for who you are. And don't be timid in approaching him for the help that you need. Because your victory brings the Father glory. My encouragement to us is to allow God's grace to grow and develop in all of us. To push us past our comfort levels. <laughs> to demand more of our time and our energy and our priorities and, yes, our stuff. So that God, so that God, your Father, your Savior, can be glorified in the earth. Now and throughout all the ages. Let's all stand together before the Lord.